In this episode of Balancing the Christian Life, we'll talk about the importance of friendship. Welcome to Balancing the Christian Life. I'm Dr. Kenny Embry. We'll talk about being better Christians and people in the digital age. Let's go. So I got on the road yesterday to drive from Tampa to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, where I attend an annual conference. This is the conference where I got to know Darren Gerdes, who has become a good friend, and it's also someplace where I see others who have come to mean something to me. The conference is at a dated but clean resort located right on Myrtle Beach itself, the Ocean Reef Resort. As I walk into the lobby, I see some familiar faces of people I know from this annual get-together. We're all college educators, and we all know the common struggles of academia. We know the politics of the university, dealing with difficult students, and the constant pressure to keep up with our classes and research, while also serving on committees that oversee the running of a university. Again, some of this is probably foreign to you, but whatever you do has the common language of others in the same boat. What brings us together every year is an organization called the Southeast Case Research Association, or SECRA, and this year, I'm serving as its president. Some people might let the power associated with the position go to their head, but it's largely a figurehead role with few duties and a minimal time commitment. As I go to the conference room for the resort, I can count half a dozen people who have served as president as well. Good people who have tried their best to serve the organization well, and I count myself among them now. As I walk up and down the halls of the resort, I have figured out how to recognize people in my group, even if they aren't wearing their name badges or have come to the conference for the first time. There's just something about a professor outside of a classroom I can pick up almost immediately, and I can't really tell you what it is. Many of us will be in business casual clothes, we'll probably be holding a portfolio in case inspiration strikes us or we need to record a thought that might escape us but there's still something I can't quite describe where I know these are people I belong with. They're just a part of my tribe, and I've lost the ability to single out the characteristics that clue me into who they are and what they're doing here. It's that familiarity that makes me comfortable. I know I belong. I also know my role is different, not just by title, but also by temperament. I recognize some of the funny parts of what we do, and I'm not afraid to point it out to others. As I look around at the others in Secra, I recognize many have become friends, some closer than others, but I know if I had problems in academia, many of these are the people I would call, and I know they would help me as much as they could to fix something. As Christians, learning who your real friends are is similar. We tend to gravitate toward people who are like us. They can be similar ages, have similar beliefs, have similar family structures, but they're people, when left to our own devices, we end up talking about the mundane stuff that matters. We could talk about Jonathan and David and how their unlikely friendship saved David's life on a few occasions, or the friendship between Paul and Barnabas and how an important disagreement forced them to travel separately in order to spare the relationship. There are a few lessons I've learned about friendship I think are worth passing along. First, 
Be authentic with your friends. Second, be both good and kind to them. And finally, highlight your differences so you can both grow. In John the 15th chapter, Jesus seems to be talking to the apostles and tells them two things about friendship. The first is that his friends will keep his commandments. But the second is that he's calling them friends and not servants because he's telling them everything God was telling him. He's holding nothing back. He's being truly authentic in giving them what they need to know. For many of the people we know, we like to give a false front, and I don't think that's a bad thing at all. You've probably heard the old adage, to fake it till you make it, often talking about confidence or optimism, and I agree with that advice. But authenticity has to do with honestly representing what's not going well. Being strong for your family, for your God, and for those around you is important. But true friends have a backstage pass. They know your insecurities because you haven't shielded them from those parts of you. There's an obvious level of trust you have to have with people allowed to see what you don't know or unsure about. In other words, you can't trust everyone. And you shouldn't. But if they are true friends, they need to know your vulnerabilities and weaknesses, as well as your strengths. I've mentioned before how the podcast has taught me a lot of things. I like to think I've reached some level of success with it, but those who know me well know that oftentimes I don't know what's working or why it's working. For example, this is an essay, and I suspect this episode we'll probably get fewer downloads. Why? Well, that's what happened in the past. I needed the extra time in my life to get stuff done, so that's why I often do one of these episodes. But I also know I want to get better at them. So once this episode is done, I'll ask people I trust what worked and what didn't. But I don't take all answers to that question in the same way. The people I love, the people I trust, the people who are my friends, affect me more. Your friends should have the backstage pass to see what bothers you, but also to have more ability to change your direction if they think you're headed the wrong way. We could go to several instances in the Bible where this was true. We could talk about Paul's advice to Timothy about how to act among the churches, or Paul's advice to the Ephesian elders before he went to Jerusalem. His friendship and love for them changed the direction of what they did. Your friends aren't just spectators on the events of your life, but participants. Their involvement should change things. And if they don't, I question whether they're really your friends or not. Your friends are also people you love which means you treat them well. I know, you should treat everyone well, and I'm not giving any license to treat anybody poorly. We are obviously told to love our enemies, which might be the hardest commandment we're given. But your friends, because they have the front row seats to your life, should also get the benefits of what you can help them with. In Proverbs 17, 17, we're told that a friend loves at all times, especially when times are hard. 
I've mentioned the Dunbar number a couple times in the podcast before. The number is 150 if you want to know its value. But the meaning is the capacity you have to both know and care about other people. You have limits to your time and attention. Heather Wells reminded me that Jesus had concentric circles of relationships in his ministry. He had the crowds, the 120, the 70, the 12, the 3, and then the 1. The 120 was the number of disciples present in Jerusalem during the Pentecost in Acts 1. In Luke 10, Jesus sent 70 out in pairs to teach the kingdom message. The 12 are the 12 apostles. The 3 are the three apostles he spent most of his time with, Peter, James, and John. And finally, it was John who was known as the closest to Jesus. In other words, the relationship Jesus had with his disciples wasn't the same. He was closer to some than others. The Dunbar number tells us we can't treat everyone the same. It's simply not possible. We can love everyone, but we have finite resources. We have only so much time, attention, money, or anything else. So you have to start making decisions about who will receive what. Your friends deserve your attention, your kindness, and your love. Again, I'm not saying treat anyone poorly, but do surround yourself with friends who make you better, who you can trust when things are going poorly. Those are the ones you want closer. They help make things better. They are not merely spectators, but they have a stake on what happens to you because they love you that much. And if you don't have that, start making that happen. Again, Proverbs 18 verse 24 basically tells us If we want a friend like this, then be a friend like this. And let me suggest this needs to be someone who has the ability to differ with you when you make choices that affect you and your family. My wife is probably my closest friend, but the choices I make about everything in our lives directly affects her. I can and do listen to her advice on what we should be doing in raising our children or spending our money. But I'm not talking about a friend like that. All of us need someone in our lives who is not directly affected by our choices. We need a third party who will tell us the truth but won't be affected by our decisions. We need our Nathans to tell us when we're being stupid and hypocritical or our Barnabases to tell us when we should look at others a different way and then have the ability to choose something different. In many ways, my wife and I are connected by the decisions we make. We can't be objective about our decisions because they affect both of us. But someone like my buddy Mark McCrary is someone who can see our decisions, give his advice, but step out of the way if we differ. Friends like that can love us, be kind to us, and help us when we're hurting. I guess another way of thinking about this is if you fall down a hole, you need someone who can help you who isn't in the hole with you. You need a friend like that. Finally, it is precisely those differences and separations that make most friendships truly valuable. In Proverbs 27, 17, we're told that iron sharpens iron and that others make us better. 
Most of my friends are my friends because of what we share in common. We are part of the same academic discipline. We go to the same church. We work at the same place. These commonalities are what brought us together, and I'm grateful we share those connecting points. But the true value of friendship is being able to separate out the things that make us the same from what makes us different. If all your friends are precisely like you in every respect, get new friends. I'm not telling you to dump the people who have helped you out, but I am saying echo chambers are dangerous places. Are you a conservative Republican? Please seek out a well-intentioned liberal Democrat to help you see what you can't see. I teach at a Catholic university, and I am not Catholic, and I have found that to be a great blessing. Most of the people I am around all day have come to different conclusions than mine, and I'm grateful they have. My faith has been strengthened by the difference, not weakened. Would I like to convince them of some of my conclusions? Absolutely. But some of the most important questions I've raised recently are because others have questioned parts of my life I thought I had figured out. Good. They challenge my ideas, but because they love me and I love them, they don't cancel me or my ideas. Proverbs 27 tells us, the wounds of a friend are faithful. Does it feel good to be hurt? Of course not. But friends who love you won't let you keep in a comfortable but dangerous place. Your true friend need to make you feel uncomfortable. We simply don't grow in comfort. Your true friends will challenge your ideas. They will love you enough to help you see where you could get better. They help aim you to something higher and more lasting. It also means that if you're criticizing someone else, you need to ask yourself, why? Are you trying to help them? Or are you doing it to hurt them? And let's be clear, we've all done it for the wrong reasons before. It's just part of being someone who's imperfect. I know, I have wanted to hurt people who have hurt me or my family. I have hurt people that I think are too full of themselves. I have wanted to hurt people who I think are egomaniacs. Ultimately, that's both not good and stupid. Hurting people who hurt you helps no one. In cases like that, their actions are much less important than your reactions. Jesus would tell us in cases where people are hurting us, stop the cycle, turn the other cheek, love your enemies, follow corrupt leaders. Our job isn't to avenge, but to be the peacemaker. Jesus was the friend to his apostles, and he tells them, If you want to truly be my friend, follow my word. In other words, the very best thing I can give you is to do what I'm telling you to do. The nature of Christianity is when you follow what it says to do, everything gets better. So I look around at all my friends I have at my conference. These are definitely people I admire for different reasons. As an academic, they have helped me do better at my job. When I look to my friends I knew through Christ, 
I see that they likewise point me to something better as well. My closest friends are authentic, are good to me, and help me grow by showing me where I'm weak. How about your friends? Do they help you get better? And are you helping them to be the kind of person and friend that would help you grow? May God help us to do for others what we would hope they would do for us and with us. As for the good thing I'm thinking about, I'm so grateful for the people I've met who have made me a better Christian. I could name too many at this point, but I hope you know who you are. Thank you for sticking by an old podcaster who is still trying to balance the Christian life. So until next time, let's be good and do good.